How you doing today, Brian? Hey, I'm ready to have some fun. I've been working on getting myself into the most positive mindset possible, not only for today's podcast, uh, but also just thinking of all the challenges that I've personally overcome in 2020 and looking forward to just a lot of promise in 2021. But regardless of whether we had New Year coming upon us, I think the uh, importance of a positive mindset is just critical. Yeah, and I mean, we we touched on everything, I guess, from positive mindset to disaster recovery, business continuity plan to picking a CRM system. So we kind of <laughs> went all over the map. Um, but like you said, I think I think it's a good episode for for the end of the year um, for our listeners. All right. Well, there's some good tips along the way too for exercises that you can put into place if you feel like this has been an area that may have challenged you or even that you just want to sort of um, experiment with yourself to see if you can improve the positivity of your own communication style and thought process. All right. I guess with that, let's uh, let them get on with the show. Here we go. Hey, thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano in Washington, D.C. And here we are uh, recording this uh, coming towards the end of 2020, which could be a relief to some. It could just be an added stressor to others. But part of what we've been talking about is, from a leadership perspective, the importance of maintaining optimism. This isn't looking at the world through rose-colored glasses. This is (laughs) genuinely trying to sift through all of those things that uh, bubble to the surface, particularly in the role of technology leaders. That can be stressors, that can be detractors from keeping you uh, directionally oriented on your strategic imperatives and help you keep your, your workforce uplifted. Yeah, and, and this kind of stems from a conversation we had with uh, Peter and, and Roxanne, which is going to air on uh, Peter's podcast. Um, you and I were on, on there together. Change Your Mindset. Change Your Mindset podcast, and that's going to be out uh, some early next year. Well, we'll let you guys know when it drops, but um, the reason you said that is you, you said that I, I made a comment on there is, is the reason you wanted to do a topic about that. So why don't you just go over Sure. Your thought about that and the comment that, that that I made that that I guess caught you. No, I love it. You know, this this has come up, I mean, many times in many conversations between you and I, Nick. And again, it's not because I, I just see you as someone who's you know uh just cheery by nature and you know overlooking, you know, things that could bring someone else down. But I, I think, you know, it's it's really, you know, speaking of mindset, it's really something that I have come to recognize in you as a just a qualified trait of who you are. And we were talking about uh some things, you know, one of the comments that I mentioned was, you know, handshakes and hugs. You know, they they may go the way of the dinosaur because of how things culturally may change from social expectations. And who knows, maybe we'll be like Asians and find ourselves bowing to one another. And uh, and, and you, you made a comment about uh, being an optimist and, you know, that eventually you felt like things would normalize and some of these, you know, traditions would uh, would be preserved. But it was that comment that you made that, to me, you know, just struck a chord because I, I do find it such a critical leadership trait 
for anyone really in any role, but particularly in, in technology where you tend to be, um, you know, relegated to the janitor's closet, right? <laughs> from, from the perspective of some of your coworkers uh, on the business side of our enterprise. Yeah. And um, th- like, I would say, you know, I, I tend to be an optimist. Um, and some of that thinking comes from, I don't worry about the things that I can't control, right? I can't control this pandemic or what's going on now. So why spend my time worrying about that? I can't do anything about it. None of us can. And the comment about the handshakes and hugs going away. Um, my point to that was, you know, this isn't the first pandemic that humankind has ever been through. There was a Spanish flu, which was probably the most recent one prior to this one. And was it like 1918 or something like that? And right. We, we grew up with hugs and handshakes and everything. So as time goes on, you know, distant memories fade and it just becomes a memory to people and people kind of go back to their ways of doing things. Um, but back on the, the leadership train, I think it's important for leaders to kind of be optimistic and be real with their people at the same time, right? You want to be optimistic for the future, um, that things are going to get better, but then you also don't want to go about your day lying about things the way they are, right? Being transparent. And when I think about uh, this, really, there I think of that company, uh, Gravity Forms, or mm-hmm. do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, they're Seattle-based, and they ran into a money problem very early on because, uh, you know, obviously they produce a piece of software that people subscribe to as a licensing fee. Um, and, you know, first thing people start looking at is all those little odds and end subscriptions, right, to start saving a dollar here and there. Um, so it impacted their bottom line, and basically he said, you know, I don't want to get rid of anybody, um, but I want to be real with you guys. Help me figure out a solution that we can keep everybody here. Uh, And that made headlines like, I don't know, Natalie Johnson, who's one of our our former guests, actually shared that, and it made it in the Wall Street Journal or something like that. And that right there is a mark of leadership to me right there. He's being optimistic, like, hey, we're going to get through this. This is a situation where now we can't fix that. But going forward, how can we together as a team come forward and get out of this to a point where I don't have to let anybody go because I don't want to let anybody go? (laughs) Yeah, you know, and I, I think there's sort of, uh, you know, that that lends itself to, you know, from the visionary requirements of leadership perspective, right? How do you maintain that vision of the direction that you're driving towards and continue to convey that into clear communication of the objectives, right? What What's the goal of the mission that you share with the rest of your workforce? And you maintain open channels of communication. And, uh, you know, I think to my mind, part of the, uh, you know, one of those other characteristics uh, that's important is that from a leadership perspective, no matter how stressed and under pressure you are, if you've got a group of direct reports, it only adds to their stress and their panic. And then the, the communication continues to cascade down in that way if they see that you're losing it, right? Exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, the other thing too is, you know, the, if you lose it, that kind of cascades down. But the other, you know, side of that coin is if you don't say anything, then people just think up the craziest, wildest ideas. And that's when rumors spread. It's, it's more important just to be upfront and honest with, with your people what's going on. Like they don't need to know every little minute detail, but they're smart enough to figure out when things aren't right. And 
you should at least form say like, Hey, something's going on, you know, like company, you know, like we're trying to cut our bottom line a little bit. I want to make sure we're all here. You know, it's just, just a matter of being transparent and honest with them. At the end of the day, you know, everyone's adults, right? Working here and we're smart enough to figure out when things are going on. So why don't you just give your people the common courtesy of, of keeping that line of communication open with them? Yeah. And, you know, another thing that we've talked quite a bit about this year is this phrase words matter. And part of why I bring that up is I've worked with some technology leaders who are exceptional data processing engineers. They're exceptional troubleshooters. They're exceptional at, you know, defining what a network topology uh, should be, right? All of those things are within their skill set. But when it comes to interpersonal communication, whether it's a lack of empathy or, you know, I mean, a variety of different things that that makes them sort of awkward to interact with human beings. One of those other areas, I think, where words matter is you've got to kind of interpret what's your audience capable of understanding in the words that you choose to use. Mm -hmm. Because if someone comes, I don't know if you realize this, but we haven't been able to send any email to our clients for the last four hours this morning. And and, you know, you're trying to maintain your cool as a technology leader, but you're just very deadpan in your response and say, well, it's because the main hard drive on uh, our exchange server has failed and we're struggling now to recover backups. And we're not sure that we're going to be able to do it. You know, those things can all be factually correct. But when you say that to somebody who doesn't really have any understanding of what that means or what contingencies could be, I think to your point, it's, you know, you may have just unleashed chicken little on the rest of the organization, right? Because now the your lack of saying something or saying something in a way that really cultivates the kind of understanding that you're trying to be intentional about, it can unleash all of those crazy stories that are now being circulated throughout the tribal communication channels. Exactly. Right? In, to the in, point in, where you're... You, you go through that story, right, that you just said about the exchange server. All the end user hears is that email's not coming back and we lost it all, right? <laughs> so I lost my whole filing <laughs> system. That's most end users, right? Um, you gave too yeah. much information and too, too much details and not enough like, hey, this is what's going on. This is what we're doing to fix it. This is where we're headed, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even saying something, taking all that same information, but bundling it in a way that sort of recharacterizes it again for who your audience is and what the intended communication is. Saying something to the effect of, I know this seems really negatively impactful right now. And I know that our workforce is desperately trying to get into communication via email with our clients, but we're aware of the issue. We know all of the things that we can do to resolve it, and we're working as quickly as we can to get all of our systems back online and all of the data intact, right? Again, to me, it's not its not like being overly optimistic, particularly if you're worried that it's like, I don't even know if we can get all that stuff back. <laughs> but the, the communication uh, in your messaging is not likely to create even greater throes of panic, <laughs> right? <laughs> 
Yeah, no, and I think you're right. And and there's times to have that information, that level information sharing with people. Like someone on your engineering team, you probably need to have that down and dirty conversation with us. Like, hey, what's the damage? Can we recover anything? Is anything going to come back? You know, it's not that we don't always leave out the details. It's just different communication styles depending on who your end, uh, end target audience is, right? Mm-hmm. Just like as IT people by nature, we always want to speak very technical, right? But then you put us in a boardroom <laughs> and a lot of people just want to start getting into the nitty gritty details to be on the point where, you know, the board of directors has no idea what you're even saying. <laughs> like, can somebody just please hurry this person up so that we can either yay or nay, whatever they're saying, what are they saying to us? Right. Right. Um, it's like given a little bit of the details that's needed just to understand the situation. And that's, you know, where that effective communication comes in. And we, we've talked about it a bunch of times, you know, to me, you know, my technical skills are important, right? But I feel like what we teamed as those essential skills are more important, you know, the uh, emotional intelligence, uh, you know, the effective communication, all, all those things that fall under those lines, I feel like it's something you need to practice, right? We're not we're not good at anything when we start doing anything, right? <laughs> you can't start being a communicator and expect to be the the you know to be Simon Sinek, right? That's what we all <laughs> want to aspire to. Like you hear Simon Sinek speak, and you're like, oh, he's just so on point, and he's just figured it out. But do you think he just woke up one day and he he had that epiphany? Mm-hmm. Um, probably not. It took years of communication and learning, um, and a lot of practice. Well, a lot of the best speakers that, you know, as I've inter- either interacted with them directly or learned about what some of their own process is, a lot of those people are writers. And whether they're writers because they're writing a book or they're writing because they're documenting things for their own uh, speeches or speaking engagements, or they are putting together memos that are, you know, to be shared with other uh, leaders the act of taking the time to put your thoughts down on paper and organize them in a way that can be clearly understood. I think that just contributes to your ability to be able to message things clearly when you're in a speaking engagement, whether that's standing in front of an audience of people giving a presentation, or if it's being under pressure because the CEO of the company just stormed into your office, pissed off about some kind of outage that is happening enterprise wide and wants your head on a stake, right? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, like you said, I've heard that many a times that writing is, is a good way to be an effective communicator. Um, and it's specifically like I've heard this many times recently is writing a book, right? People say writing a book will challenge your own beliefs and opinions on everything. Um, the, you know, I've yet to write a book. <laughs> I know you've written one, but um, it's it's one of those things that's definitely on my list. And for me, like even just posting posting on social media, my thoughts and ideas is kind of a way for me to to validate my opinions, right? like and get my thoughts out like is this absolutely crazy what i'm thinking like am i the only person who thinks this way um so i think that's also a a good form um like you said writing is one of those things that can help you become an effective communicator and i also like reading um you know like military history too like i read the george washington book and just seeing 
the letters back and forth and the way they used to communicate back then, um, <laughs> you know, from a leadership position when things are hectic and chaotic. And, you know, you read George Washington's memos where he thinks that this thing's just all going to fall apart at any minute, but not anywhere else in the history books do you ever see any of that. Right. Um, it's just one of those things that, you know, reading and writing uh, is, is a good way to just up your level of communication skills. Absolutely. And if you are a leader and you're wrestling with some of this messaging, particularly with how do you maintain your optimism through crises, then, you know, this is a good tip for an exercise to undertake on a routine basis and be able to start putting those things together and in a format, whether or not they are intended to be shared, but, you know, start to do it so that you can kind of develop that muscle memory for yourself. One of the things from a writing perspective that helped me considerably, uh, I think in terms of improving the clarity of my writing was doing years of software development and technical documentation. And there's a couple of areas where, you know, uh, you can plug comments into your code, right? And that's one area where it's like, okay, you know, you have to be specific at a certain level and in a certain way for a certain audience. But that's different than when you get into writing technical documentation for someone who is not necessarily a developer, but they do have to understand how to maintain and support whatever the technology is, whatever the application is that you're putting into place. And you need to be able to validate that with someone who's then gone through the process of actually reading the documentation. And in fact, completing the exercises <laughs> that are identified in the documentation so that you know you haven't missed something in terms of detail that could be critical along the way. And then you get to the next layer down, which is the end user documentation that's required for whoever's sitting on the front end of the application, right? Ensuring that they have a sufficient understanding of, you know, what are all the instructions related to this thing? And again, that you're not missing any steps and even getting to the, the level of using things like bolding and italics and underlining and bulleting and call outs and all of these different visually visual techniques that can lend to increasing a, a an immediate understanding just by looking at the arrangement of those things on a page. So from the perspective of how is this important uh, in terms of uh, optimism for a leader, uh, you know, I kind of want to get back to, to some of that because, you know, from, from my perspective, there's, there's kind of communication going a couple different directions, right? You've got those things that are going down the chain of command, but also those things that are going up the chain of command. And there's also a couple of different areas of quality of communication in terms of, you know, whether you are reporting on things reactively from the perspective of a crisis or you're in discussion on things proactively in terms of something like strategy, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a, a place for optimism in all of that. And I think for people who are in technology roles, particularly if you're in something that's more traditional IT, that's got a support division uh, attached to it, the you know tendency I think for a lot of people who are on the front lines of dealing with user issues on a day-to-day -day basis, they can start to get ground down after a while 
And, you know, there's, there's a lot of this sort of blowback that can come back either through, uh, you know, verbal interaction, which I think is kind of less common because it has the immediacy and tone and all those things that go right along with what we expect from basic human interaction. But, you know, more so if you've got like a live chat client or if you're responding through a ticketing system, you know, where things are being documented more like in an email and, uh, and there can be a tendency to, you know, get a little bit nasty or edgy, <laughs> you know, or lose sight of the fact that uh, you've got uh, a service orientation to your role. What are, what are some of your thoughts on, you know, being a leader and helping to infuse uh, an optimistic view uh, in that kind of scenario? Yeah, I think for me, it's, um, you know, not stressing over too much the things that you can't control, right? And I touched on this a little bit earlier. I can't control a pandemic. I, I can't control when it's going to be done. I can't control that jurisdictions have things shut down. So I just worry about the things I can control, right? I can worry about how my team's feeling. I can worry about checking in with them. Um, I, I try to redirect all my interactions to things that I can control. Um, and from a positive perspective, you know, I, I feel like the positive outlook always gets, you know, a bad rap because people always think, oh, it's always sunshine and rainbows. But to me, it's I always stop to think about the positive impact of something first, right? Instead of the negative impact. I feel like a lot of times people have a tendency to do the opposite, right? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you do a podcast. Oh, because somebody might hear it and they, they might say something bad. Well, what about the opposite? What if you think about the opposite first? What if you made a podcast and somebody heard it and said, oh man, that was some great information. I really love what you're doing there. You know, as human beings, like I said, we have a tendency to always th put those negative thoughts first and let those weigh heavier on us than the positive thoughts. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I, I think another area that correlates to that for me is coming from a perspective of having enough information so that you truly are informed because then that starts to remove some of those uh, blind spots uh, again where, where some of the negativity can creep in because that's where the fear factor is right yeah I, I think a lot about just the years that I spent uh, authoring and curating business continuity and disaster recovery plans and I mean, one of the things that is required of that role is to put on the hat of, you know, someone who's got the most pessimistic outlook of everything that could possibly happen because you've got to work through the details of all these various scenarios and understand how to mitigate them. But that's also where it leaves you in a position where you're sort of the most informed person in the room as people are losing their cool when any of those scenarios really do come to rear their ugly head, right? Because you know that there is thought that's been put into mitigating exactly that type of scenario. Yeah. And I think, so you touched on a great thing there, you know, like you're thinking negatively, which is good, but you also practice those disaster plans, right? To point where it's, it's training and, and you're building in muscle memory that when things happen, we do this, Right. So you're you're pulling out the muscle memory where you don't have to spend as much time dwelling on the negative things when it's actually real time happening. Your your mind and body is just executing and executing. Um, so I think that's always a huge thing when it comes to making, you know, business continuity or 
disaster recovery plans, do you actually get together in a room and act these out? Um, I mean, there's whole companies that, you know, make a living just basically off of running these simulations to help you test your your uh, business continuity plans and disaster recovery. Um, it's It's worth an exercise once a year or so, I would say to go through it and just see what would happen. So that way, if this really happens, your your team is just ready to go on muscle memory. They've been through it. It's just kind of the same reason why you think of why they put kids through fire drills, right? You, when you're a kid and you're in school, you always think it's the dumbest thing. But we all knew as soon as we heard that bell, we all instantly knew what to do, right? Stand up, walk to the aisle, go down the stairs, go to the room. It was a, it was a matter of just putting muscle memory into it to the point where you didn't have to think about it. You just reacted. Yeah, that's well said. And then, you know, I think kind of the size of your organization, the complexity of your technical environment and your number of locations, whether you're global, regional, national, whatever, I mean, all of those things then kind of dictate what should be the frequency and scope of what those tabletop exercises look like so that you can ensure that you've got the right people in the room and the messaging is helping to cultivate uh, an adequate amount of what the muscle memory needs to be. So one of those other things that we mentioned is, you know, then there's kind of the, the communication that's going up, right? And uh, from the perspective of being able to communicate things strategically, particularly if you're in a technology leadership role and here you are trying to give voice to what you believe, you know, some of your own forward thinking vision is that can help enable the company, you know, increase uh, client experience, all of these different things. That tends to be an area that's a lot easier uh, to forecast and communicate with optimism, right? Because it's uh, it's when you get to paint the brush and the broadest strokes around all of the good things that are going to happen if you just give me a check of this size, <laughs> right? Well, we touched on that, I guess, before. You know, a lot of people always think that if we buy this tool or we buy this software, that's going to fix our problems when most of the time it's, it's a process problem or, or like some type of leadership problem. I'd, I'd probably almost go as far to say is that most problems are actually leadership problems, right? <laughs> they, they're not technology problems. They're not business problems. It's just that leaders haven't get, given the direction needed um, to actually allow people to, to make the right decisions. Yeah, an exercise that we tried at an organization that I was working with who was convinced that they needed to retire their existing CRM system and and get one that was much flashier with a recognizable brand name. Uh, You know, what I heard was sort of a list of grievances about why it wasn't working. And to my mind, you know, what I understood about the problem was really more directly related to a willingness to put some rules of engagement in place and then enforce those through management and accountability. And actually the results and the outcomes would be identical to moving to a more expensive system. But it's hard to convey that kind of message when someone's already sort of dead set on now we're going to open the wallet and we're going to go do some spending. And that's going to, you know, resolve, resolve our issue. So um, you muted there, Nick. I always bring this back to, um, you know, like, let's think of fitness, right? We all know 
what you have to do to get six pack abs to be the strongest person in the world. Nobody wants to do the actual hard work. And that's what most of these problems are, right? We have to roll up our sleeves and do the hard work. You know, we, we're not going to go out and buy the best of breed of whatever. Um, and that's not going to fix our problem. We actually do have to do the hard work of checking the business processes, checking to see if this does the requirements. What are the requirements for the project to be successful? Those are the things that are more important and having in line than what the actual tool is. If you can figure out all those things ahead of time before you even go looking for a tool, then you can find the best tool in a short amount of time, in a short discovery process, and probably even a short implementation process because you've already figured out everything you needed before you even started this journey. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I think also trying to spend a little bit of time and being creative about how can you use an approach like gamification mm-hmm. to potentially change perspectives. You know, this was uh, something that I had recommended in this scenario that I'm describing to you about, you know, these these CRM challenges. Uh, you know, my suggestion was, let's get the salespeople in a room and we're going to have a bitch session, but that's not what we're going to call it. We're actually going to turn it into something that's a lot more fun and we're going to to use it as a problem-solving exercise and what I knew in the back of my mind was that ultimately this is actually going to keep this incumbent system in place and it's going to create some buy-in for the user base to actually request some additional constraints be placed on how they were using it, some additional accountability. There would be a little bit of additional work from some management. It would require uh, some use of some new features that hadn't really been used from the system that included some reporting and dashboarding. But all of those things came through an exercise of what if scenarios, mm-hmm. right? What if we had a system that could do these things? And then, you know, we went through kind of going around the room and let everyone go through, you know, a waving their magic wand kind of thing. You know, where are all these things that would make such a significant difference for us? And so then it created enthusiasm and belief that this could be accomplished if only these things came along with it. And then what we were able to unveil at the end was 90% of those things were behavioral and they had nothing to do with the system at all. And that actually the system that was in place could accommodate all of that. And what it did then was it actually helped create a sense of ownership among that sales team that they did not want to let go of the system now because it would actually be a foolish and unnecessary expenditure (laughs) against uh, the company's earnings to go out and invest in something when they hadn't even given it a, a try. Right to uh, to overturn what some of their own negative perceptions were, so from that perspective, I, I believe that you know leading with optimism uh, can actually make a significant difference, and not just to your bottom line, but it can it can actually help reframe the perception of your workforce into identifying challenges and having some creative problem solving that uh, they're willing to put into place, starting with their own mindset. Yeah, and I think that's that's a good point to wrap up there, right? <laughs> We've kind of gone everywhere um, today, but you know, I think I think we're just talking about optimism in general. It's it's a matter of, you know, in my opinion, but it, starting to think of the positive things first that can happen, and and weighing the negative things last. Um, 
it's not that we don't look at the negative things. It's just that a lot of times, like I said, as humans, we, we want to weigh those negative things first and not even think about the positive things that can happen out of something. So my recommendation for a new year's resolution is to take this concept beyond being a new year's resolution. <laughs> the hard and work. Do the hard work. That's right. That's right. What's your uh, favorite uh, resource or do you have a reference uh, that you think is a good one uh, that, that kind of, uh, you know, helps further explore this, uh, this concept that we've discussed today? Oh, you know, I think, um, He's he's gonna be, um, a kind of, uh, geez, self help guru. But I like his stuff. Is Les Brown, right? Oh yeah. It's just you think of Les Brown and all his 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 speeches and everything. I haven't read any of his books, but um, just some of the things he says in his short little clips are just gold. Yeah, that's that's great. You know, one that I was thinking of that. Um, uh, I don't think we've ever mentioned him before, although I really enjoy his books is John Acuff. Uh, He, you know, he wrote a couple of books, one called start and another called finish. Mm -hmm. And he's just a funny guy. So it's a pleasure to read his books and and they make you feel good. And not only that, it, you know, sort of along the same self-help principles as Les Brown, he's giving you sort of a roadmap for dealing with things that can be unpleasant challenges, but, he makes you have so much fun along the way that you sort of forget if you had any fear or resistance personally associated with those things that you just kind of go along for the ride. Uh, and, uh, you know, and those positive outcomes that, uh, that come along as uh, part of a side benefit for it. Exactly. Great, great recommendation. I guess with that, uh, we'll just go ahead and have a shorter episode today. Um, we will see everybody, uh, in the new year. So happy holidays to everybody. And, uh, We'll we'll see you on the first. All right. Let's go New Year.